Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Living Free. Uh, this is a show on 3CR Community Radio, um, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to Ruminations Crew for their South Bank show, highlighting Melbourne's homelessness experience. My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guest uh, will be uh, sharing with you his journey of recovery from compulsive gambling. I'd like to welcome Steve to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi, Steve. Hi, Bill. Um, as a member of Gamblers Anonymous, Steve will share his experience of compulsive gambling and how GA, uh, Gamblers Anonymous has helped him. Um, so, Steve, usually we start with um, a bit about your background and what life was like before you started gambling. Sure. So, how did, how did it all start? Uh, it all started with uh, um, being brought up in the in the country from a, a family of um, horse owners. They were involved in in horse racing, um, so my early experience. Um, was going to the races, seeing all the, the fun and the excitement of, of horse racing. Um, and from a very young age, I had a, had a passion for horses, uh, including wanting to be a jockey. But unfortunately, I did grow a little bit too much for that. Uh, by the time I was uh, 11 and 12, we were regularly attending the races and um, gambling became a, a big part of my life, even at such a young age. Um, it allowed me probably to to get closer to my father um, by attending the races with him. We had a common interest then in, in horse racing. Um, it included then on, on the weekends recording horse racing on the on the ABC on a Saturday night and, and watching replays and I guess looking for that little bit of advantage and that, that next great tip or, or big win. Right. <laughs> so I understand also you wanted to be a jockey when you were a kid. Yeah, so um, used to used to use the horses on the farm and had a jockey saddle and, and my grandparents actually had some silks made up um, for myself. So okay. used to make out I was a, was a jockey um, riding the horses around the farm um, as if I was winning a, winning a Melbourne Cup at the time. Right, okay. Um, so you... Um, you... you basically on a farm on your own a long way from gambling per se yes so how how did the gambling start um the gambling started just as a social thing that when we would go to the races you know would have a, a few small a few small bets um but even prior to the to the gambling starting um you know that that real excitement then of of having that bet and then having a win, and it just gave me, I guess, a sense of achievement and, and that winning feeling. Okay. Um, yeah. Initially. Yeah. Which I then continued to chase for the next twenty five years. Okay. <laughs> um, so, what was the um, what sort of wages did you have as, as a kid? Yeah, as a kid, it was just always small denominations. So it was probably you know a dollar each way to um, a couple of dollars each way. Yeah. But I did notice, even even at a relatively young age, by the time I was fourteen or, or fifteen, that the bet sizes started to increase. Okay. Um, you well, know, you wouldn't have had much money at that age. Uh, I was actually quite fortunate because I was given um, sheep and cattle from the farm, so um, and also work on the farm and was getting paid. So yep. I did actually have access to a reasonable amount of money at a very young age. Okay. Um, and by the time I was fourteen, fifteen, um, 
the bets were, were starting to get up into the, the hundreds of dollars. Okay. So how were you betting at that age? Um, basically walk into a TAB and, and um, as even my dad would say to me at the races, don't bother me to put on a bet, go and ask some old lady to put on a bet. And, yeah. you know, p- people are quite happy to help a kid out. Yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately, they weren't, they weren't probably helping me out. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it must have um, taken a lot of money then, unless you were winning lots of money at the start. At the start, um, I guess it's probably that little bit of beginner's luck. You know, I started to have had a good run, um, and from watching the replays and and getting tips and and really studying the form, um, I managed to pick out a horse um, that I really really liked, um, and had a really big um, bet on that horse, um, and that horse actually won. And for me, I think that was the beginning of the end. It it really set off. It triggered. Yeah, it really yeah, it really triggered the the compulsive gambling. Okay. Um, you know, I still remember the the horse and the race and oh, wow, um, all of that. And from there, it was it was chasing that feeling, that feeling of of that I was smart enough, I guess. You know, that I was smarter than this system and um, I was good enough. Yeah. And you know, I was then I remember even saying to my dad, "See, I told you that would win." Yeah. Um, wow. You know, yeah. To almost proved the point to him that I was good enough. Yeah. So did you feel different? Yeah, even at a very young age I felt very different like unless yep. I was in a in a TAB or talking about horses or gambling, um I didn't quite feel right, you know. I talk about upstairs within my head I I was never at peace or I was never at ease. Um you know and and honestly today inside as a when I was young I I felt very sad. Um, okay. But it didn't come across as sad. You know, I had that real ego about me. Um, you know, I was probably that cocky, confident young kid that looked like he had the world at his feet, but inside I was just dying and, and I was really, really sad. Yeah. Also, you, um, your dad was an alcoholic. Oh, your dad drank, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, whether he's a he's an alcoholic, I, I think that's for him to decide, but alcohol certainly played a big big part in my childhood. Yeah. Um, you know, come Friday and, and the weekend, um, you know, was you'd be quiet. Dad's been to the pub. Um, and if we had played up or anything wrong, you know, the consequences from it were were unbearable. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of emotional and, and physical trauma um, growing up. So, you know, and, and that caused me a lot of pain as well. Yeah. Um, the... Uh... So from 15 or so, so how did it develop? You know, clearly you were at school, so it must have been affecting your school life as well. Yeah, so even at, even at school, um, I liked school because it, it got me away from the farm and it got me into, into town. Okay. Um, got me access to the, to the paper so I could basically study the form. So the first couple of periods at school from 9 to 12 o'clock, I would basically just study the form guide. Wow. Um, yeah. And come lunchtime. If I didn't get a lift with the teacher to the TAB, I'd walk down to the local TAB and, and I was putting on bets. Wow, yeah. So by the time I was 17, 18, I was that, I was that daily punter. Okay. So did, um, did anybody recognise a problem? Yeah, my, my parents started to recognise a problem and even some friends of theirs um, had noticed that I was in the TAB a lot um, and a good f- family friend had actually seen me put on a large bet um, that my parents then confronted me about. Wow. Um, and they were asking, well, where's this money coming from? 
And that was when the sort of in the family investigation or the family interrogation started of what I was doing with my money because I was a good saver as a, as a child. But um, by then I'd also started to, to steal from my family, okay. um, you know, including wool and, and money and um, sheep, etc. Okay. Um, to feed an addiction. Wow. It's, it's pretty incredible. You must have been very organized yeah. to be able to pull that off. Yeah, well, like my parents would go on, on holidays and so there was a lot of planning and a lot of scheming. Um, and they would have money lying around the house and um, so I would start, I started to take that. Okay, yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd been left an inheritance by my grandfather who'd passed away when I was 11 and I got access to that early, yeah. um, which was a large sum of money and the gambling was well and truly underway. Right. So by 17, 18 then, you were sort of, you are pretty much a problem gambler at that point. Yeah, I was a compulsive gambler and yeah. um, definitely even at that point, my, my life was had become unmanageable. Right. Um, it was just horrendous. Like every, every day is all I thought about was gambling. So what was, uh, what was the social um, expectation? Did you have to... What happened? What did people do around you to try and manage that? They'd try and um, take the money and the access that I had to money. So even then, my parents um, basically become signatures on my bank accounts. Um, they would limit and make sure they were checking the money that it was going into the account. Um, but then I just started to forge their signatures to get access to that money. Wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it's, that's the thing that you often hear with um, alcoholics talking about you know, anybody who gets between them and the drink is a problem. And yeah, and there to be got out of the way basically yeah. Yeah, <clears> and so. and from um just after after i turned 18 i'd i'd taken a whole heap of my own money and and i'd gambled it all in one day um and then on the way back from from the tab um was when i had my first suicide attempt so i drove i drove into a tree wow goodness me so i just rem i still remember that day quite quite vividly of um, just that pain and suffering of just wanting my head to stop. Yep. Um, and I truly thought it was the only way out. Yeah. So what was the the overwhelming remorse? Was what was the what was the feeling that you? Yeah, of of walking out of the TAB of I oh, know I've done this again. Um, the consequences that I was going to be in trouble, um, and just that sinking feeling that that I'd stuffed everything up. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't take any more pain. Yeah. Um, the, the emotional pain inside was just horrific. Okay. So from there, did you, obviously, if it was a bad car accident, that there'd be some time in hospital or something, but did anybody try and get you any sort of help? Yeah, well, it was probably the, the family doing what they do and they, they cover it up. You know, I said to them that I'd try to commit suicide and they said, whatever you do, don't tell the doctors or the police or you'll get in trouble. So... Yeah. <laughs> You know, I did what I did best and I just lied and said I was trying to change a tape. It was the old cassette players back in those days, change a tape in the car and mm. um, I got out of hospital and, and they put me into counselling and um, just basically we, we covered it up. Um, mm. Yes, uh, it's very common, this the, the denial that, that the family will close in around um, the problem drinker, uh, drug user, gambler to make sure nobody else knows. Um, and it's, I think a lot of it's about protecting themselves, you know, from the shame of having that in their family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because yeah. They, they see it as a failure. 
Um, yeah. Unfortunately, parents think it's their fault. Um, you know, maybe we should have done something different. And even today, like we have conversations around it and my family will say, if only we had have controlled the money. Yeah. If only you didn't have so much as, as a young kid, this probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, but and that's not the case, is it? No, none of that's true. Um, unfortunately, I was I was born with this disease of, of addiction and um, no amount of control was ever going to stop it. No, no. Uh, the other thing is today, um, you know, gambling ads have pretty much taken over from tobacco ads um, and so gambling is being pushed to younger and younger uh, people um, and as we know that the earlier you start, the more likely, likely you are to have a problem so uh, are the numbers of people coming into Gamblers Anonymous, you know, get, are they getting younger? Yeah, we're definitely starting to see, to see a shift in, in the age of, of people coming into to Gamblers Anonymous um, because of the ads and how young people are starting to gamble because we're not only seeing it on AFL but even soccer, all sports now, it's gambling. Um, you know, it doesn't matter when you turn the TV on. We're, we're just inundated with, with gambling ads. Um and it's showing that it's this fun, it's exciting, it's showing that you're a real man and, you know, look how smart I am, I'm gambling and I'm winning and, yep. you know, everyone will flock to you if, if, you're that, if you're that winner. Yeah, and they never show the losers. Yeah. No, they never show that, that, that feeling of when you're walking out of, a, out of a venue or a TAB and you're completely broke. Yep, yeah. Um, so, so it's more than just a money problem, Um your gambling that um so how do you explain the 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 addiction the compulsiveness of gambling that what how does it what does it mean to you when you talk about a compulsive gambler yeah um like all compulsive gamblers we do feel when we when we first come in um to gamblers anonymous or we stop gambling that that it's a money problem um because often it's the money that actually brings us to our knees you know, we've been caught because we've um, stolen money or the, or the money's run out um, and the pain just gets too much. Um, however, what, we, what, I've, what I've learnt from, from the program is if it was a money problem, you know, it would simply say stop gambling and my life would get better. But once we put the gambling down, we're then left with all of the emotions, um, whether it be the shame, the feelings of not being good enough, um, being unlovable. Um, you know, it, it was just... It's an emotional disease that that affects not only our mind but um, you know our body and our spirit. Um, you know, I look at myself as as being low level in terms of emotional intelligence when I came into the into the program. Um, I didn't have a didn't have a lot of range of emotion, um, mainly just sadness or, or anger, um, and that's what what gambling and addiction did for me was it it stopped those emotions. Right, um, and put a put a real blocker on on those emotions for me. Yeah. So, did you? Um, m- most people either feel sort of high or low. So, what was yours? Were you a, a high person or a low person, as far as feelings of self worth? Um, the self worth was definitely low feelings. Yeah. Um, initially, it was the, the high feelings that you know I was smarter, I was better, I was winning, um, I had more money. But by the end, it was just incomprehensible demoralisation. Um, just that feeling that I was stupid, that I was worthless, hopeless, um, that I was just basically a failure. Yeah. Um, you know, because time and time again, no matter how many promises I made to myself that it would never happen again, um, 
I continued to go back. Right. Um, so how long did you, you know, from 18 then, when you sort of had that first, um, I guess, rock bottom of, oh, my God, things are going terribly, um, how long before it sort of manifested in your life again as a as an issue or did it immediately restart? Yeah, just immediately restarted. I just I played a different game, I guess. Um, I learned what people were looking out for. Um, and from there, I knew that my family were basically what I felt like were trying to control me. Um, so I basically ran away. I okay. I moved to Melbourne. Right, did a geographical. Yep. Did a geographical. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, anything that stood between me and gambling, unfortunately, had to go. Yeah. You know, and I don't think I spoke to my family for probably eight or nine months after moving to Melbourne. Wow. Yep. You know, because it was their fault. Um, but unfortunately, I moved to Melbourne. I found out that they had TABs just the same as the country did. Um, so uh, how, you must have been um, – did you finish school at that point or yeah, I finished, start work? Yeah, I finished year 12. Yep. Um, when I first finished school, I worked on the farm. And then obviously I left the farm and came to Melbourne and, and started to work in sales. Um, I had some really good education in around sales and, and worked my way up from there and um, was managing, um, within seven or eight years, was managing companies here in Melbourne, um, managing 55 people and managing companies turning in, over in excess of 25 million per year. Wow. And you're, still, you're actively gambling all this time. Yeah. yeah. And throughout the whole the whole period of it, I was I was actively gambling. Um, I truly believed that it wasn't gambling's fault. Um, I thought that it was all my fault. Um, and the reason I thought it was all my fault was because I didn't earn enough money. Yeah. If only I earned more money, yeah. um, I'll be able to gamble the way I want to gamble. Right. So, um, so you basically effectively denied you had a problem. You know, it's not. As you say, it's it's not the gambling, it's the money. Yeah. Um, so how does that leave you then in a social situation where you are gambling? You must have been a little bit isolated from everybody else. Yeah, it, it forced me to isolate from everyone because, like, my stories were, were never congruent. Um, they started to become really big holes in the stories of how can you have such an amazing job where you earn a lot of money but you're always borrowing money off people? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And quite often, because I would um, was a horse puncher at that stage, you know, Saturdays were, were the big day of gambling, and almost every Saturday, I would blow everything. So come Saturday night, I was, I was basically broken, broken and yeah. and locked in in a home myself because I couldn't afford to go anywhere. Wow. Mm. Uh, you're listening to 3CR on 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and also 3CR on digital radio. At this point of the show, we usually do a couple of plugs for events and fundraisers, and this week we have a couple. Uh, the first one, I'll just play your recording for um, the same-sex marriage statement. 3CR is actively advocating for equality in the lead-up to the National Postal Survey on same-sex marriage. As such, we will not give airtime to the No campaign on the basis that it is prejudiced, homophobic and harmful to LGBTIQ people and our families. Our community may hold different views on marriage as an institution, yet we agree this postal survey is a political stunt designed to appease prejudiced and homophobic views. 3CR will continue to advocate for equality in all areas. At this particular time in our political climate, we need to ensure that our members, friends and colleagues know that 3CR is a safe space for all our community. I've got all my sister- 
Okay, the second announcement is about um, a fundraiser we're having, and it's called Battle of the Sexes Film Fundraiser. Uh, it's the story of Billie Jean King's 1973 victory over Bobby Riggs in the infamous tennis match called The Battle of the Sexes. It's on Thursday the 5th of October at 6.30pm at Palace West Garth Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote. $25 full, $20 concession. You can purchase tickets online from 3cr.org.au or direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or phone 039419-8377 during business hours. All funds go towards keeping 3CR fighting fit and winning the battle. Uh, well, I'm talking to Steve and we're talking about um, compulsive gambling and how uh, Gamblers Anonymous can help people recover from their gambling addictions. Um, so we're talking about the problems, not gambling, it's never having enough money. Uh, so I guess you, because you thought the problem was money, you were always trying to get money. Yeah, that's right. Look, I spent my whole life um, working out ways of, of trying to become better, to get better jobs, to earn more money. Um, because quite often, you know, I would only have those really sick feelings um, of when the money would run out. So I figured, well, if I could get more money, I'll never have to experience those those feelings again. But unfortunately, what happens was the more money I earned, the bigger the bets became. Um, and I still ended up in exactly the same spot. So basically, I was just running around going going insane. Right. Yes, not a good feeling. No. <laughs> um so what sort of things did you do to try and control your gambling or to control your money? Yeah. Probably more, more to the point. Um, I, I tried a number of things across the years to, to control my gambling. Um, first of all, it started off with having my, my family try and manage my money, um, you know, be signatories on bank accounts, give me a certain amount of money every day, um, have limited access to money. Um, unfortunately, that didn't work because I just worked out ways of, of how to get around that. Um, secondly, I tried, tried just straight up counseling. Um, I thought, you know, because of my childhood and what happened to me, perhaps there was something there of why I couldn't do it. Um, counseling didn't work. I tried hypnotherapy. I thought maybe they can hypnotize me to stop gambling. Um, I then thought, um, that I'll get married. Um, I met a girl and, um, you know, she was, was a lawyer at the state at this stage, um, you know, very successful in her own right, um, very switched on, um, was managing her money really well, and I thought, wow, how great's this? So, <laughs> Good combo. <laughs> yeah, amazing combo. So that worked really, really well for um, a short period of time, but then unfortunately all of the lies and deceit started to come about, and, and the same things happened. And, um, you know, she basically said, you know, the gambling has to stop or something has to give. So I left her and... And continue on my merry way. Right. And at this stage, you were managing a whole lot of people. So there must, you must have had access to a bit of money. Yeah. Well, I had, I was, I had access to um, any millions of dollars at this stage, but I always knew somewhere inside me somehow, and I thank God for this, that um, I was never the, the signatory. I was never doing that. Um, always made sure that, that we had a bookkeeper who was purely responsible for that. Yep. Um, because... I would dare say I would probably be in jail today. There's no doubt that I would have stole the money. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, 
if you left your wife, was there another geographical? Or, yeah, you know? so um, because I left my wife and um, I'd caused so much chaos there um, in terms of the marriage breakdown and I guess I didn't want to face her and didn't want to, didn't want to step up and um, be, be honest about why I was leaving, um, I then moved to London. Um, landed in London and found out that they also had um, a lot of TABs and <laughs> a lot of poker machines and a lot of casinos as well. <clears throat> Surprise, yeah. Yeah, surprising. So mm. it was very, very quick as well, um, and I was gambling um, out of control. But I guess what I liked was it gave me a clean slate because I got over there and all of the lies that I had and all of the trouble that I created here in Australia... Were behind you. ...was all behind me. Yeah. Um, and no one in London knew this. So, you know, on paper, I looked very, very good. Um, I managed to secure a fantastic job, was paid a hell of a lot of money in... In London as well um, but it was very very quickly then that I also had to start to borrow money off people that I work with and and the company I worked for and you know just through things like such as saying that I needed money for a highly skilled migrant visa and um, you know I was just always coming up with scams of, of how to get extra money because I was get paid one day um, it was difficult over there because they they were paid monthly Right, wow. <laughs> um, so sometimes with my gambling habits, you know, it could have meant 29 days of, of no money and no food unless I was scamming. Right, wow. It must take a lot of a lot of planning. I just, oh, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, and, and I think that, that probably causes for a lot of sleepless nights and almost insomniac-style sleeping because if I wasn't gambling, um, I was always thinking about ways to how to get money. You know, I was mm-hmm. constantly in survival mode. Um, it was almost like being in a in a war torn country in my own head, of going, well, how do I avoid the bombs and how do I avoid the bills and how do I still maintain my ability to keep gambling? And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, it, it just caused a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. Sounds like torture. It was horrendous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so your your own life's in financial turmoil. Um, so did you come to the realization that there's, that that there is a problem? When did that sort of start striking you as there's, it's not the money, it's actually the gambling? Yeah. It probably took me honestly to about 36, 37 years of age to realize that, to, to start to admit that defeat. Wow. Um, so that's sort of 20 years of, you know. Good, good gambling. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and I tried everything. You know, I was academically very, very smart at school. Um, I was had a huge ego. Um, I was very egotistical, um, and I truly believed that somehow, someday, that I would outsmart this. Um, so I tried everything from buying tips on the racehorses to studying the forms to building spreadsheets to watching replays to doing everything I could to blaming other people, to... I, I truly left no stone unturned in my gambling career um, and it came to the point that I then had to look at myself and that was was horrific. Yeah, it didn't look pretty, I'm sure. It but, didn't look pretty because yeah. I had a trail of destruction from um, all of the trail of destruction that I caused with my immediate family to relationships with ex-wives and and women that I had um, children with, uh, my past was horrendous. 
know, and then I was left with one person and that was me. Yep. You know, and the last thing that a compulsive gambler ever wants to look at is themselves. Yep. I also understand that you had an alcohol problem and also a drug drug or multiple drug problems. Yes. So how was all that playing out in your life at that point? Yeah. Um, alcohol, because of, I guess, my, my upbringing, I always vowed that I'd never drink. But by the time I was sort of 16, 17, I picked up and had my first drink. And it probably gave me a little bit of quiet time in between the gambling. Um, I would have periods of time where I wouldn't drink. Um, but then I was at that binge drinker. Um, you know, the pain would get so great that I'd need um, some time out. I'd never touched any drugs until 29. Um, and I was having trouble sleeping, as you can imagine why. Yeah. And a friend recommended some, some marijuana, so... I tried some marijuana and it worked fantastic for a period of time and it gave me some sleep and from there a friend suggested some cocaine. Um, we're at the races one day and I tried cocaine um, and I had that feeling of where have you been? It really stilled my mind to a point that I'd never had before. Um, and then when I moved to London, my cocaine habit got out of control. Um, it was relatively affordable in, in London and then came back to Australia, and because of the price here, I gravitated and tried crystal meth and um, became a daily meth user for, for three or four years. So you're still working at this stage? Well. Yeah, I'm still yeah. working, still managing um, up yeah. to 55 people, wow. um, smoking about half a gram of ice a day, um, trying to manage relationships, trying to run a company, trying to be a compulsive full-time gambler, um, trying to afford enough money for a gambling addiction, a couple of thousand dollar a week drug habit. Um, and my life was just in turmoil. Right. I sit here today just almost shaking my head that, yeah. that I survived it. Yeah. Now, it, before we were talking off, off air about the highs and lows, so do you want to just sort of relay to people the, the highs and lows of how it affected you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess walking into a, into a venue or onto a racetrack, um, the highs were amazing because you had this anticipation which was a high within itself of, you know, today's going to be different, I'll have that big win and everything will change. And um, there was one day in particular I went out to the races and um, had a, a reasonable amount of money and and had a phenomenal run. I think I backed 10 or 12 winners straight. And, and by the end of it, I thought I was invincible and had, um, you know, high six figures um, in terms of in terms of the money and and from there, that high was just phenomenal. I felt on top of the world. I thought I was invincible. And then it all turned. Um, and in the space of a couple of hours, I lost all of that money. Um, I had to borrow money off a friend to catch the train home. And to leave that track was just devastating. Um, I was at probably the lowest point that you could possibly get to. Um, you know, I felt just worthless, useless, stupid. Um, at that stage, I was smoking cigarettes as well. I didn't even have enough money to buy cigarettes. I had to um, bump some cigarettes off people. Um, and that was just horrific. But the saddest part about it all, the only thing going through my head, was where could I get some more money to keep gambling? Well. Wow. <laughs> um, despite having all of the money that I couldn't fit it all in my pockets at one point. Yeah. Um, to being broke. And it's still at that stage, I didn't think it was gambling. Mm, man, that's incredible. 
Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking to Steve and we're talking about compulsive gambling and um, how Gamblers Anonymous can help. Um, so, Steve, we've, we've gone out on, a, on an absolute low. You've lost everything. Um, but you're also using drugs and alcohol. Um, so life might have started to get you right down. So yes. what what happens next? How, uh, how did you... I'm sort of talking about you realising that the need for help and, and looking for something like Gamblers Anonymous. Yeah, and I guess that, that was the real, real uh, rock bottom, Bill, was I remember sitting there and um, contemplating suicide again and, um, you know, I'd just been through a, another... Um, massive binge of, of the drugs, alcohol and, and gambling um, caused more enormous damage um, and I remember sitting there and and then rock bottom hit and rock bottom for me, it wasn't the money. It was, I had to put up my hand and I had to ask for help. Um, you know, I was that typical egotistical self-centred um, individual that thought they had all of the answers. Um, I thought I was smarter than Google um, and then I here I was completely helpless, useless, and, and I didn't know what to do. So I put up my hand and um, with the support of my family, um, entered into recovery and, and I found Gamblers Anonymous. Okay, so what? So what's recovery? Did Is there a detox for gamblers? or um, Because I had the drugs and, and alcohol, I, I did attend a, a rehab facility. Okay. Um, you know, I did a, did a program there. Um, I originally come back out. Um, stayed clean for, for 15 months. Um, and that didn't involve Gamblers Anonymous. The only thing that, that happened was I'd stop gambling, I'd stop drinking, I'd stop, stop taking drugs, but I hadn't fixed any of the, the emotional problems. Um, I hadn't fixed my head in any way. And then um, I picked back up again. Um, decided to have a couple of drinks that'll be a little bit different this time. Yeah. You'll be in control. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be in control and I'll be able to do do it my way. And, and that lasted really well. i I picked up a drink. Um, I was snorting cocaine in the toilet and I was in Crown Casino within about two hours. So wow. <laughs> that gives you an indication of my self-control and how well it was. And yep. and then over the, the period of the next 10 months, um, things progressively got worse. And and then I, I, I hit another rock bottom of, of that really reaching out for help. And I guess that willingness then to, to do whatever it takes, yeah. the willingness to know that it was a mean control and that no human power could probably stop, um, could stop this disease. Yeah. Just just to rewind a bit. So in those ten months, then uh, were you still working? And yeah, I was yeah. still I was still oh. still working. Um, I was managing a, a company here in Australia and also managing the office in London. So I was working basically from seven to seven at night here in Australia, and then um, looking after the London office to about two in the morning. So wow, I was working about one hundred and twenty hours a week as well as managing a a nice habit, some alcohol and, and gambling. Gambling. Wow. Talk about full time jobs, each of them. Yeah. Um okay, so you finally asked for help and uh, this time you were you realised that it you had a problem. Yeah. yeah. So what happened? Um so what happened was um as I was brought to my knees and I asked for help I started to attend um Gamblers Anonymous. Um and for the first time I was willing to listen. Um, I was teachable, um, and I had enough pain that, that I wanted to change. And 
and going to those those meetings, I was willing to listen to the to the similarities and not the differences. Mm. Um, you know, and and people there had their arms open and and just wanted to help. Um, and I and I could see that there were some recovered compulsive gamblers there, um, and I gravitated towards those and. Um, within Gamblers Anonymous, there's probably two parts of the program. One is the meetings where we sort of get together and, and share our our experience, strength and hope. And the second part is when we work one-on-one with a sponsor to to alleviate or help alleviate some of our problems and, and we do what's called the 12 steps. Right. So they're the same basic 12 steps as AA. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and to be honest, those 12 steps have, have fundamentally changed my life. Um all of that gambling and all of the geographicals and all of the money that I was chasing, the thing that I was chasing the most was silence in my mind and and just contentment within my body. Um, and I finally fe- found found that. And, you know, the distance from my head to my heart um, got closer and, and I felt like they joined. And um, today I sit here as a, as a free free man recovered from the, the grips of addiction. Yeah, living free, as we like to say. Yeah. Living free, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I understand you're also in uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon, so yes. because of your family with alcoholism. Yeah. So that must be um, rich, having all those fellowships to support you. Absolutely. So... I initially thought, oh, geez, what a headache! I've I've copped the whole I've, I've copped the whole gamut. Um, however, it is a it is a advantage because you do have obviously so many fellowships. But what I've also learned throughout the journey is it doesn't matter whether we we get food or whether we get drugs or whether we get alcohol or we get gambling. It's um, it's a disease of the mind, um, mm. you know. And I'm probably walking testament to that. Um, I think if there's something to get addicted to, if there's twelve steps, if I'm uh, if I'm not in the fellowship, I would certainly qualify for pretty much any of them. Yep, yep. And I think it's the same for the families as well. I mean, so each each gambler has a profound effect on their family because of the amount of money that they consume. Um, and so the families must be equally affected. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the devastating effect of, of what we do to our families is inactive addiction, it, it's so hard to see because, well, for me, I, I was such a selfish individual that I didn't care about what damage I was causing causing to people, but the emotional pain was was just horrific, um, you know. And I've had conversations with my family about it. My my mum actually says like I, that she felt like when I was in full flight that I'd taken twenty years off her life. Yeah, um, because she didn't know whether she was going to get that phone call of me threatening him to get money, or whether it was going to be that phone call that that I was dead. Yeah, mm. um, you know, and that's terrible for families. Yeah, it's uh, it's also the um, the shame as well having somebody who has that problem in your family because you can't talk to anybody else about it because most people think it's a it's a moral shortcoming. It's not an illness. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and particularly with with the gambling and and drugs because there's such stigma involved to them. Um, the last thing you want to do is go, oh, I have a son that's a compulsive gambling that is a drug addict. Yeah, um, you know, there's certainly nothing to be to be proud of but and as you said with shame you know we lock it up in the in the closet and what that allows it to do it allows it to breed yeah it festers Um, yeah yeah so so then that the alcoholic or the addict or the compulsive gambler as i am it allows us to go on our merry way because we know that they're not going to go and get help um and they're not going to tell anybody yeah yeah yeah, so and we're effectively then controlling the game 
Um, mm. But the minute that it's out in the open, um, you know, shame can't survive in the light. Yep. So what's it like now to be free um, of, of the compulsion to gamble? It's amazing. It's, it's a feeling that I probably truly waited 39 years um, to get. Um, and I say that with a, almost tears in my eyes because I always thought that I was so different that, that this was going to be my life forever. Um, I always thought that I was probably going to be that little bit crazy in the head and always be ill at ease. Um, but today I'm content. Um, you know, I have a state of being, of, of being content the majority of time with some amazing points of happiness. Um, and that freedom from the compulsion to gamble um, is the most beautiful gift that I've ever been given. Mm. Yeah, well, I can imagine um, just not having to worry uh, anymore about what what you told different people. I, I think that's the thing that there's so many lies and so much deception that it must get you in the end. Oh, absolutely. Like in the end, you, you don't even know when you're telling the truth. And you know, I love the saying of what denial is. Didn't even notice I always lied. <laughs> um, you know, and that was me. Yeah. Um, I was pretty easy to tell by then when I was lying. Um, my lips would move, so. That's yep. just how much of a liar I was, and it was true because you'd create so much debt. You're always looking over your shoulder of, oh, shit, if this person catches up with me. Um, where today, you know, to be able to just walk with your head high and um, with a sense of ease and, and comfort, it's the most amazing feeling. Mm. True liberation, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so part of um, being in 12-step fellowship is helping other people, and, and there's a really strong desire to help others from what you've come through yeah so how's that working out in your life yeah it's been great look i've i've had the i've been fortunate enough to be able to um also give away what what's been freely given to me and and i've managed to work and sponsor other people um in the program and just the joy that that gives um of seeing these people grow and, and become alive you know we come in as as empty vessels um quite often to the fellowship and and we flourish and we grow um, to leave, as, as you were saying before, as, as free men or free women. And it's one of the most beautiful gifts ever. Um, you know, it also helps for, for me. I truly believe that in order to get this, we've got to give it away first. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a huge sense of um, freedom after I went through the steps initially my, the first time, um, particularly step four when I was able to do the house cleaning and get rid of a lot of the, the shame, guilt and remorse that I'd carried around for, for 25 years. And to see someone else be able to do that is mm. the most liberating and, and beautiful experience. Yeah. Um, so um, are there, I guess, the with AA and places like that, there's there's more men than women. So is, is gambling a more even across the men and women divide? No, within the, within the fellowship, there's, there's certainly more men within the, within the program. Okay. Um, which is quite funny because I remember, you know, obviously gambling not that long back and there seemed to be a lot more women in the in poker the gambling, machine. Yeah. yeah, in the yeah. poker machine venue. So I'm not too sure. Yep. Um, but it, it, it's definitely, you know, probably 90% men and, and 10% women in the rooms. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah, that's surprising, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, and just hopefully the, the, the government start to see that all of these ads, um, as we mentioned before, around gambling... Um, 
monitored a lot a lot more heavy in the the impact of what it's doing to to the younger generation to say to them it's okay to to gamble um i don't think is the right the right message yeah i saw um the 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 range of gambling options i'm um, so there's there's the pokies there's racing there's casino there's sport there's online social media and there's lottery games i think there's 10 different lottery games in australia yeah and on social media there's nine extremely popular apps um, so the amount of the opportunity is just phenomenal compared to when I was a kid. You yeah. know, you could bet on the races pretty much. Yeah, you know, everything else was illegal. You yeah. could, um, or um, there was um, lotto. You know, yeah, absolutely. Like now, you know, you can be gambling without anyone knowing. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to go into a to a TAB even yeah. similar to to when I started gambling. You know, yeah. you you had to go in there. You know, there were TAB accounts, but you needed to have a phone, and they're all homeline phones, so we yeah. didn't have the mobile phones. Where now, yeah. um, you know, I effectively could have been sitting here, yeah, gambling, gambling while, while we're while on we're, the phone, yeah. Um, you know, and it's just devastating. Yes, it is, isn't it? Um, so, uh, I guess, sort of looking back over your life, then, you know, do you think you were predisposed to become a gambler? Yeah, I think I was born with the the disease of addiction. Yeah, um, and I truly believe that just through some some young childhood trauma, um, that just managed to to tip me over the edge. Um, you know, whereby that it became gambling. I think had I've picked up alcohol first, drugs first, or or food, um, yep. I, I was definitely going to be predisposed to uh, to one of the addictions. Right. Okay. Yes. I think I I think I agree. Uh, yeah, they also say uh, with alcohol and drugs that the earlier you start, the more likely you are to become addicted. Yeah. And it, it, based on your experience, it appears that gambling is very similar. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, even before I was gambling, like being in the races in and around that excitement of it, um, it was just basically warming me up the minute that I placed that first bet. Yeah. Um, it was all over. Yeah. Mm. Righto. Um, okay. Well, um I think I probably should do a um, a warning for you know we, we mentioned um, suicide on the on the program. Um, if any of the issues discussed in our show have affected you and you'd like some support, you can call one of the following helplines. Um, there's Lifeline on one three double one one four for suicide prevention. Uh, Beyond Blue one three hundred. Two two four six three six for mental health issues. Um, okay, um, so what what would you say to to people who are out there gambling now? You know, is is there a message? Is there a message we can give to people who are gambling, or do they have to need to want to stop before they'll listen? I think, unfortunately, as gamblers, we we tend to become very egotistical. Um, and we think we have all of the answers, um, but there is a solution, and we don't have to gamble, um, you know. And we can recover from gambling. So if you've had enough of gambling and you're sick, you're sick of the life that you're living, and you're sick of the lies. Um, and I guess only we know that deep inside ourselves. Um, there is definitely an answer, um, and there's definitely a solution. Yeah, and also to families, there's um, there are organisations like um, Gammonon. Uh, which is for family and friends of um, problem gamblers uh, as well. Um, so if anybody's interested in contacting Gamblers Anonymous or would like to speak to somebody about gambling um, and gambling problems, 
Uh, then you can phone them on 9696-6108. Uh, that's in Melbourne. Uh, or go online at GA Australia or gamblersanonymousaustralia.org.au um, and they should be able to provide you some help. Um, well, we're coming very perilously close to the end of the show. Um, so I'd like to um, thank you, first of all, for listening to Living Free Program. Um, that's all we've got time for today. I'd like you to thank Steve um, for coming in. Thanks very much, Bill. Um, and particularly for sharing his Gamblers Anonymous recovery experience with us. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week uh, when we'll be joined by a couple of members of Alcoholics Anonymous sharing their experience with um, problem drinking and how AA has helped them. If you'd like to stay tuned, we have coming up for us right now Black Noise Radio, uh, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective.